0: Hey, welcome to church. Glad to have you uh, in the house of God with us this morning. I think today finally feels like the first official day of summer. So glad for a little sunshine and appreciate you joining us uh, on this uh, Sunday morning. Hey, uh, as many of you uh, have heard, we're making uh, an announcement today as it pertains to really the future and the vision uh, of the church. About a year and a half ago, the Lord gave us uh, a word that he was adding an amplification to the voice of his church. And when you get a prophetic word, uh, the Bible says that our responsibility is to steward those things, contend for those things, and then pray into those things. And so over this last season we have done exactly that and really through a string of miraculous events, uh, we are here to make a really fun announcement this morning. So if you would go ahead and turn your attention to the screen, we're gonna roll the video and we're gonna celebrate this morning together. (laughs) Starting this Wednesday every week, we're going to be on Daystar, 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And not only are we going to be on Daystar in the United States, we'll be on Daystar in Canada, in Mexico, and all across Eastern Europe and the Middle East. Not a lot of people know this, but the third biggest market for Daystar in the entire world, watch, is the Pacific Northwest. We weren't even supposed to be in line to get this slot. We've been talking to Daystar over the last number of months. I had the privilege of going down there and being on Marcus and Joni's show just a few months prior to Marcus's tragic passing and was able to forge really a kingdom connection with them. And So we've been in talks over the last number of months. Man, what would it look like to take what God is doing here and broadcast it to the nations? And they told us, they said, hey, most of our slots are booked out nine months, 12 months, 18 months in advance. Hey, we'll let you know if something becomes available, but we're not sure. They said, maybe we could get you on at the 3 a.m. slot, the 4 a.m. slot. And I said, well, you know, beggars can't be choosers. We'll we'll take what we can get, but let's just pray that God would give us a prime time spot on day start. You'll never believe what happened. We got an email, and they said, Pastor Russell, you will never guess what just happened. I said, I bet I will. They said, we had our prime time slot open up. Right after our morning show airs, our most popular show, we've got the next time slot available. Yeah, there's other folks in front of you. There's other folks who've been waiting literally months, if not years, on the waiting list. But we feel like in our spirit, we want pursuit in our prime time slot. Would you consider it? I said, yes, we will. And so starting this uh, Wednesday, Uh, We're going to be rallying every uh, Wednesday morning on the airwaves and uh, we're just already giving God thanks and praise for the folks that are going to be reached by the gospel, people who are going to be saved, miracles that are going to happen in people's living rooms. I don't know about you, but I, I uh, I, 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 I am so convinced that what God is doing in this environment is special and sacred that I want people to be able to experience it from the comfort of their living room all across the nation now we get text calls emails DMS every week people asking could you put a pursuit campus in my city could you come to our region could we have a pursuit campus in our state have you thought about doing something international or overseas and we'll get there and we'll get there rather soon but I felt like man at least for now let's broadcast over TV And let's give people the opportunity to form pursuit communities in their own living rooms. And in doing so, let's see the gospel of Jesus Christ be announced and the kingdom of God advanced. And so, thanks for praying. Thanks for believing, man, we're excited. And uh, we just feel like this is the next step. This is the next step here for uh, the church. I know you already know this this morning, but let me just remind you, we have got a reason to celebrate. And in fact, here's what I love about God. He has got a fantastic sense of humor. Right in the middle of Pride Month, he causes Roe v. Wade to be overturned. We're announcing today June will no longer be known as Pride Month. We're changing it to Celebration of Life Month here in the Northwest. I got this picture on Friday. Watch how cool this is. This is one of our online campus members who lives in Washington, D.C. On the morning that the announcement was getting ready to be released, he went to the Supreme Court to pray and brought his pursuit puzzle piece. Held it up in front of the court. I thought, man, if that's not a prophetic picture of what God is doing in this season, friend, I am not sure what is. (laughs) In fact, I am so happy about what transpired over this weekend that today, Pursuit is announcing another $10,000 donation to the Pregnancy Resource Center of Snohomish County. In fact... I am so happy about what transpired over this weekend that on Friday afternoon when Bank of America announced that they'll pay their employees up to $4,000 to get abortions out of state, I called our finance team and first thing Monday morning we will withdraw every penny of church money from Bank of America and we're going to a credit union. No, the time for playing games is over. The time for serious action is now. We will be a voice for life and life even more abundantly here in this season and in this hour. I want you to see something wild this morning. I want you to watch how God works. Now, there is something in the church, especially it's more popular in Catholic or Orthodox environments, called the liturgical calendar. It's a calendar that celebrates all the different feast days for the different apostles and the different disciples. It's what causes us to remember Lent during that season. It just so happens that Friday, June 24th, was the day that the liturgical calendar celebrates the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist in Luke 1 is a pre-born baby in the womb who leaps at the announcement that the Messiah is coming. Not only that, but the Supreme Court decision was announced at 10, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And my Bible says in John 10, 10 for the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to bring life and life even more abundantly. Hear me friend, great cultural moments always help separate the sheep from the goats. If your favorite celebrity pastor can't be bothered to make one meaningful comment about the sanctity of life, it is time to get new heroes. I've got no more patience for cowards hiding behind pulpits. Maybe one day abortion will be as unpopular as racism so our celebrity pastors can finally find the courage to say something about it. This is not political. Slavery is not political. Racism is not political. Abortion is not political. They are abominations against a holy God, and the church ought to be able to find her voice and speak out. It is time to speak up. Friend, the lake of fire belongs to cowards, but the nations belong to the courageous. They threatened to burn down our building. Fine, we'll rebuild threatened to protest outside of my house. Fine, I don't sleep anyways. They threatened to bomb the pregnancy resource centers. We will defend those clinics with our lives. This is not about Democrat versus Republican. This is about good versus evil, principalities and powers versus the church, and the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. Friend, the separation of church and state is not the same as the separation of religion and politics. Politics are the byproduct of religion. Every political decision is the result of an action taken due to a moral framework. But what secularists want you to believe in this country is that it is okay for them to enforce their morality, but it is not okay for you to advocate for yours. But friend, you cannot pull the wool over the eyes of this church. We see this for what it is. Somebody told me, they say, well, pastor it's not very Christian for you to be celebrating such a controversial decision. Oh, I was home alone in my house. I put on my boots. I stomped around all around my living room, and I lifted up a great shout to the Lord because the Bible says, let him who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. Oh, you got a reason to celebrate this morning. Now watch. Somebody said on the news, I love watching the news during moments like this. It brings me great joy to watch pagans see their idols crumble in front of them. Somebody said on the news, oh pastor, this Supreme Court decision might have a dangerous ripple effect in this nation. They might try to ban drag queens in public schools next. Yes, let's hope so. Well, I'm glad the Supreme Court made a decision for life. However, the Supreme Court is not our final arbitrator of truth as believers. There is a higher court with a higher judge, with a higher ethic who we appeal to on a daily basis. Hear me this morning. My hope is not in political outcomes. However, I understand the importance that the church plays in the stewardship of societies. And if the church can't celebrate this moment, it's probably because we have gotten so used to fitting in that standing out makes us sweat. Oh, there is much more work to do, I agree. I understand that abortion is still legal in this state but I am rejoicing today that over the next six months, a minimum of 26 states will outlaw abortion. So let's celebrate the win and keep working until the worship of Molech is no longer tolerated in our cities. Oh friend, we need cultural clarity in the midst of spiritual confusion. Let me preach for a moment this morning, Acts 17. Starting in verse 16, now while Paul waited for them, them being Timothy and Silas, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city, Athens, was given over to idols. So he responded in the synagogue, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Over the course of Paul's adult life, Paul takes three major road trips. We call them missionary journeys. As he brings the gospel in and around the European continent. And shortly after the end of his third missionary journey, Paul is executed by the Roman emperor Nero. See, Acts 17, which we're reading today, is recording his second missionary journey. On this road trip, Paul will spend most of his time ministering in modern day Greece. In cities like Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth, and Athens. Watch Paul's method for missions. He would travel to a city, teach Jesus in the synagogue. Once he got thrown out, he would teach Jesus in the marketplace. Once he got thrown out, he would teach Jesus in the public square. Once he was beaten, stoned, whipped, and left for dead, normally a church was started and off Paul would go to the next city. Now don't tell me the Northwest is too hard to reach with the gospel. The problem is most Christians run for cover at the first sign of conflict so they don't get canceled online. Paul is getting stoned, whipped, and beaten, and we're worried about someone saying something nasty about us on Facebook. Friend, they've already tried. We've already been called every name in the book. We've already dealt with the lies, the slander, the false accusations, but you cannot kill what's already dead. We have lost our lives to find them. We have forsaken all to follow him. It doesn't matter how nasty the synagogue gets. It don't matter how depraved the culture gets. It doesn't matter how loud the crowds grow. Our allegiance belongs to Christ. Friend, we are not living for the approval of culture. Influence is not the altar that we bow at. I am not concerned with how secular people will interpret the church of Jesus Christ. For Paul says the carnal mind cannot understand spiritual things. Hear me. Following Jesus is not a popularity contest. I am okay with being disliked for my stances on life, sexuality, righteousness, and revival. I am not auditioning to be the next American Idol celebrity pastor. I don't have a list of fake celebrity converts to bring up on stage to sing a worship song so we can all pretend like they have been discipled. I am here on assignment to stir the people of God in the Northwest for revival and reformation. And some of y'all need new heroes because their complete lack of any semblance of biblical or cultural clarity was completely exposed this weekend. Watch verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Friend, being provoked is the natural response to a region that has been under the influence and bondage of foreign idols. That word provoke in the Greek means to irritate, to exasperate, to provoke feelings that would spur someone to action, to be cut with a sharp edge to inspire a response, to burn with righteous anger. Sometimes we view being provoked as an ungodly attribute. But things don't change until you care enough to be upset. Jesus rebuked the money changers in the temple. Jesus rebuked the phony religious leaders who tried to trap him up. Jesus rebuked the disciples who tried to keep the little children from coming unto him. John the Baptist rebuked Herod for committing incest. Paul rebuked the Judaizers for trying to compel the Gentile converts to follow the law. And in like manner, we rebuke the spirit of death that causes our political leaders to celebrate abortion. We rebuke the spirit of cowardice that causes our pastors to not say a word. We rebuke the spirit of addiction that causes our young people to overdose. We rebuke the spirit of lethargy that causes people to not care about their faith. Oh, I have seen the region. We are given over to idolatry and I am provoked in my spirit and simply will not be quiet, Paul was provoked, there seems to be this weird christian teaching today that the more spiritual you are the more lazy you become, it's kind of like say la vie it is what it is come on we don't want to get involved in those culture wars what if people disagree with you Come on, let's just ride the wave and be influential and fit in. The worst thing that could ever happen is if we stand out. But friend, the church is the pillar of truth in society. And when the church loses her voice, the world loses its mind. And if there was ever a time for the church to find her voice, it's now. In verse 18, watch how the Bible continues. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers begin to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, what is this babbler talking about? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. So they took him and they brought him up to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Let me give you some historical context this morning. The the Areopagus court was the highest court, the supreme court in all of Greece for civil, criminal, and religious matters. This court was built into a hill that rose close to 400 feet above the city of Athens. It was nicknamed Mars Hill by the Romans, after the Greek god of war. And Mars Hill was the most important place where philosophy, religion, and law was discussed and decided for the entirety of the Greco-Roman world. Let me set the stage for you. Paul is preaching Christ in Athens the capital of Greece. Athens is one of the world's oldest cities whose recorded history spans approximately 3,400 years. Athens is the birthplace of democracy. Athens is considered the cradle of Western civilization. Athens is considered the progenitor of philosophical ethics. And Paul is arguing for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this place. Don't tell me the gospel won't work in the Northwest. Don't tell me we are somehow so educated or enlightened that we no longer need miracles. Don't tell me God can't send revival to to college campuses all across this region. Don't tell me that we've gotta water things down or change the gospel to make it appear more relevant to intellectual people. Friend, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. If Paul can proclaim Christ at the Supreme Court of his day, We can proclaim Christ in any sphere this world has to offer. I am not ashamed to believe in Jesus. I am not ashamed to pray in the Spirit. I am not ashamed to advocate for the unborn. I am not ashamed to believe in the sexual ethic of Scripture. The church is the pillar of truth in society. And if you're a pastor who doesn't understand that, it is time to retire and leave your abandoned buildings to someone who isn't scared to say what is right. Oh, well, pastor, sounds like you're a little irritated this morning. Yes, I am provoked. I am provoked. I am provoked by the spiritual climate of the Northwest. I am provoked by the idolatry of our region. I am provoked by the deadness of our churches. Yes, I have been provoked. See, the Greco-Roman culture had over 3,100 gods that they worshipped, not including the Roman emperor, who they referred to as Lord and son of God. Why then was it so threatening for Paul to preach about this Jesus? After all, wasn't it just one more God on top of the 3,000 they already had? Let me tell you why. Because as Paul preached, he was declaring to the entire Roman Empire, all of your other gods are shams. Shams. They are cheap cover-ups. They cannot see and they cannot hear. They are delusions without the power to save or deliver. They are clouds without rain. They are sails without wind. Paul's message was not that Jesus was one of many gods or one of many ways. Paul's message was that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no man comes to the Father except by him. When Paul said Jesus was Lord, he was simultaneously saying Caesar is not. When Paul was saying that Jesus is Lord, he was simultaneously saying the Greco-Roman gods are not. When Paul said that Jesus is Lord, he was simultaneously declaring the government does not have the power to save, the culture does not have the power to save, philosophy doesn't have the power to save, the law doesn't have the power to save, salvation is only found in the name and the reality of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior who commands the universe. See, the Bible says Paul encounters two groups of philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Epicureans would say, if there is a God, I don't know him, and he doesn't know me. I'm responsible for my own domain, and nothing should cause me to worry about my current existence. I will live ungoverned by anything that causes me internal conflict. Comfort is king. The purpose of my life is pleasure at all costs. My personal enlightenment is my only goal. Can I tell you, friend? The Epicurean philosophy still impacts Western culture today. You know what it sounds like? Live your own truth. It's all about me. No one can judge me or my decision making. The purpose of my life is to consume until I am satisfied. It is hyper-individualism rooted in a victim sensibility that is informed by ideologies of oppression. But the Stoics, they were different. They were a group of pantheistic philosophers who believed that God was the universal energy that connected all living things. They were a bunch of washed up new age universalists who believed in a never ending cycle of pseudo spiritual recapitulation. And Stoicism still impacts Western culture today. It sounds like this. The universe is God. We're just one big ball of energy floating through the cosmos. We are a self-contained ecosystem. There is nothing outside of the universe because the universe is in fact the universal truth. I need you to see this today. Our world is still plagued by backwards and broken philosophical concepts from 2000 years ago. No you Stoics, the universe is not God. No, you Epicureans, you are not the final arbitrator of what is good and true. No, you Universalists, we will not worship nature. No, you Deconstructionists, we will not build altars to our pain. There is a man named Jesus who God raised from the dead. He sits on a golden throne in front of a glassy sea. And at his words, the cosmos align, the worlds are framed, and men are raised unto new life. They say to Paul, this is a strange teaching. Listen, friend, you better believe the gospel sounds strange to a people caught in idol worship, government worship, nature worship, political worship. The message of Jesus is not subcultural, it is countercultural. Amen. Watch in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus. He said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Can I tell you the question is not do people worship? It is what do people worship? Whether you believe in organized religion or disorganized religion, every person who has ever been born, God has planted eternity in their hearts. And I'm telling you, you will never meet an individual who doesn't worship something. Paul is not giving a compliment to the Athenian governmental leaders. He is jabbing them right where it counts. He's saying, I see that you're very religious, but you're religious in the wrong direction. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So in fact, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps that we would reach out for him and find him because he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live. And in him we move, and in him we have our being, even as your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Listen to me, pursuit. Here's what I'm going to proclaim to you this morning. The God who made everything is intimately interested in a personal relationship with you. He needs nothing, but he offers everything. He has made all the nations. He has marked out all their borders. He has created all of humanity and he is not far from us. For in him we live and in him we move and in him our very existence is established. For even as your poets have said, we are the children of God. Do you know that archeologists have actually found a physical altar from Athens with the inscription to an unknown God? It was like a Greco-Roman fail safe. There's gotta be at least one God that we don't know yet, so let's make sure we honor him as well. You've gotta see this this morning. Paul gets up and says, even your own conscience testifies that you are missing something. That hole in your heart cannot be filled by activism. That hole in your heart cannot be filled by good works. That hole in your heart cannot be filled by the accumulation of knowledge. That hole in your heart can only be filled by the God who created you. And then I love it because Paul appeals to their artistic culture to make a point about the God that we worship. Even your poets say, even your creatives cry out, even your singers and your actors and your actresses and your authors and your movie stars and your painters and your designers and your filmmakers. Every time they create, they are following in the footsteps of the God who created them. They don't know it. They can't recognize it. They aren't aware of it. But their own internal need to create is representative of the reality that they were made in the image of God we are his offspring and he is our father oh I love when people get born again in this church I almost always hear the same testimony pastor I didn't know what was missing but I knew something was missing oh I've tried every other thing I've got all the accolades of the world my resume is built up you name it I've tried it but it was never enough to fill the hole in my heart. I've always had this nagging idea. I've always had this conceptual metaphysical reality that I can't escape. I've always known this thing in the deepest part of who I am that I was created for more, but I just didn't know it was Jesus. And when I walked in this room, I felt something I couldn't explain. It was like a cloud was walking behind me. It was like a presence was enveloping all around me. It was like all of a sudden the weight of heaven pressed into my existence. I didn't even know his name. I've never been in church a day in my life but when I walked in this house something inside of me shouted this is what you were missing and I'm here to make Jesus Lord of my life. This is what Paul is preaching in Acts 17. He's speaking to the Athenian culture. And in doing so, his voice is echoing throughout the formation of Western civilization. And he's saying, Men, women, poets, creators, politicians, creatives, don't you know that you were made in the image of God? And this God is not far from you. Here's where my end this morning. The reality of the incarnation. A God who became like us to save us from us. The God who commands the very galaxies in His hands. That God is not far from you this morning. Hear me. You might feel far from Him, but He is not far from you. You might feel like I wasted all my chances. My whole life has been a mess. My past feels like it's catching up with me. I can't figure out how to stay sober. I can't figure out how to repair the broken mess of my life. I've got good news. You don't have to because Jesus already paid the price to make you whole. God is not far from you this morning. And God is not far from the Northwest. We are closer to revival and reformation than the day that we first believed. God is not far from his church. He is not far from his people. He is not far from the broken or the contrite. He is not far from the maligned or the abused. He is not far from the adulterer or the divorcee. God is not far because you were made in his image. And when the Spirit of God begins to work in your life, it restores purpose to the empty caverns of the human soul. This is the God that we worship. And this is the Jesus that Paul proclaims at the Supreme Court in Athens. This God desires relationship with you. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? Hear me, friend. We need cultural clarity in a time of spiritual confusion. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask that by your spirit, you would do the work that no man can do, not by our own might or by our own power, but by your sovereign prerogative alone. God, we pray that today in a real way, you would fill us afresh and anew fresh hope fresh courage fresh strength new dreams fresh visit fresh resource that you would leave this place knowing god is for me he is not against me and even when it feels like the nation's rage god sits on his throne and laughs and he says ask of me and i will give you this as an inheritance for your life and so god today We appeal to the one who is near to us in the midst of every season of our lives. And we ask that from the inside out, we would be transformed into your image and likeness, never to be the same again. God, I pray that you would help us to be everything that you know us to be. And we commit again in this moment, if you will be our God, we will be your people. We pray these things in the mighty, the powerful the beautiful name of Jesus. Come on, all God's people, said amen. Amen. Friend, if you're here today and you'd like prayer before you leave,